this morning, uh, we are continuing our, our study in Colossians in chapter 2. Uh, and, and if you want to turn there, that would be great. But also, uh, actually, we're only going to be looking at two verses this morning, two verses in the book of Colossians. And uh, one of them, uh, you'll see it's verses 6 and 7. If you look at your bulletin, I actually printed both verses in your bulletin since it's only two. And what I want us to do today, uh, in just a minute, we're actually going to read these verses out loud together. We can't do that every week or we don't do that every week. But since it's only two verses, I think that'll be a valuable, a valuable thing. You know, one thing you may have noticed, one thing I invited you all to do as we go through the study in Colossians is read the book of Colossians. I know a lot of you have told me that you've been able to do that. If you read the book of Colossians from cover to cover, um, or really from page to page, it's about three pages that should take you 15, 20 minutes at the most. Uh, and it's a huge blessing just seeing this amazing book that points us again and again to Christ alone. <clears throat> but one of the things you might have noticed if you've done that, if you've been able to do this already, is that Paul has some really, 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 really long sentences where he just goes on and on and on and on. And you're like, where's the period in this? Where, what is, what is happening here? He has some really long sentences. Well, today is not one of those. Today is actually one short sentence. It's only two verses long, but I want to tell you that in this sentence, I think it sums up a lot of what it means to follow Jesus. It sums up a lot of what it means to follow Jesus. And so, um, It's a very important sentence, and as we read these verses together this morning, what I want you to do is think about what is it, what is it that God wants me to hear this morning? What is the main thing that God wants me to hear this morning? Um, and so we're gonna, we're gonna read these verses. If you wanna read them off of here, you can read them on the screen, or if you wanna read them out of your Bible, uh, read them that way. But please stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And again, as you listen to these verses, as you say them out loud with me, um, uh, think about what is the main thing that God wants me to hear this morning. So let's read together. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I love these verses. These are verses that I've come back to over and over again in my own life uh, and over and over again in, in teaching because I really think it simplifies what it is that we're trying to do. And what is the main thing that God wants us to see this morning? I think when we look at these two verses this morning, what we really see in these is really one kind of main statement that's supported by several other statements. And what is that main statement? It's really right there at the end of that first line in your bulletin. It says, walk in him, walk in him. Really, there's only one command in these verses. And it's that phrase, walk in him. Those three words uh, really sum up what it means to follow Christ. You'll see the title of the sermon is called Discipleship, How We Follow Christ Alone. Discipleship is this idea, you think about the 12 disciples, right? We know them, Matthew, Peter, James, John, and and you think those were the disciples. Well, guess what? Here's some news for you. Jesus says, I want all of you to be disciples. I want all of you. And what does that mean? That means I want all of you to be my followers. Uh, And how do we follow him? Well, I think that phrase, walk in him, describes it for us in a very simple way. Three ordinary words. You know, the mission of Trinity Church is to develop wholehearted followers of Christ, people who love God and people who love others. And how does that look? Well, I think it looks like us 
Walking in Him. Following Christ means walking in Him. We're going to unpack that today and look at what that means. So if you have a pen uh, and you want to circle that word on your on your worship guide, that word walk, I think, is our main point for today. As Jesus says, I want you to walk with me. I want you to walk in me. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, um, what I want us to see, you'll see in your, word, in, your, in your bulletin, is that we have five steps from this passage that we can take in our walk with Him. Five steps, and you know what? I want you to realize this morning is that when anytime you see a, a five-step list, you might think, well, this is a process. If I just check these off, then I'm good, right? Then I've arrived, I'm following, I'm wholehearted, and, and, I, and I'm done. Well, that's not what these steps are, okay? These five steps are, are what I would say is uh, five directions you can turn. Uh, at least four of them are directions you can turn. If you're not quite sure what you need to do next, or maybe you feel stuck in your spiritual walk, uh, and you're not quite sure what the next thing should be, uh, take one of these steps, and I think it moves you back in the right direction as you follow as you follow Christ. Now, uh, when we talk about this idea of being stuck, we've all been stuck before, right? Stuck in a traffic jam, and what that means is you're surrounded by cars and there's no way out. Some of us react differently in that situation than others, right? Uh, maybe you've been stuck in a room. Has anybody ever been stuck in a room and couldn't get the door open? Uh, when you've got little kids, that happens sometimes, right? They're in the room, the door's locked, and they can't get it open. You're like, just turn the lock, turn the lock, and, and, uh, and they're stuck, and they panic. But do you ever feel stuck in your spiritual life? Um, stuck and not quite sure what I need to do next. I'm coming to church every week. I think I'm doing okay, but I just don't, you know, what's the next thing? Well, I want us to look at these steps this morning. I, I have a memory, a childhood memory, uh, that I've shared before of, 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 we had pigs on our farm, okay, a lot of pigs, and my job was to feed the sows, the mama pigs, and, uh, and, and one time me and my brother were out there kind of trying to herd the pigs out of the pen, and it just rained, so it was really muddy. And uh, we're walking along, and I'm just this little guy, and I didn't like this job, and my feet got stuck. I couldn't move. I was just stuck in the mud. My brother was yelling at me, come on, man, come on, Marcus, get out of there, you know, chase these pigs. And I said, I can't, I'm stuck. And he just stopped, and he said, Marcus, you know, if, if, if you don't get out of there, these pigs will eat you. <laughs> and I didn't ask him if he was serious or not, but that motivated me, and I took off moved right along and got out of that mud. Uh, I left my boots behind and uh, I just ran in my socks across the mud. Uh, but I got out of that situation. And so uh, what I want us to do is, is if you ever feel stuck or stagnant in your spiritual walk, sometimes the next step is the most important one, just taking one step forward. And so some of these steps that we're going to look at this morning, I think help you to move forward and to think about what it is that it really means to be following Christ. But uh, before we before we look at these five steps, uh, there's really kind of one more thing I want to say about this idea of walking, this idea of, of, of walking with Christ and this idea of uh, of uh, uh, of what it means to walk. So in Scripture, when the word walk is used, it kind of has a, a really common meaning. In fact, it'd be hard to think of a more ordinary word for Paul to have used here. In other words, if uh, think about how they got from point A to B. They didn't have cars. Uh, in fact, almost all the time, if they were going to travel, they walked. I mean, that was just part of life every single day. Uh, you know, we might say, um, I'm going to go to the game. Well, if I say I'm going to go to the game, that means I drive to the game, right? Or, uh, or I'm going to go see family. Well, that means I'm going to get in the car and drive. Well, if they said, I'm going to go 
hear Jesus speak or I'm going to go to the synagogue, that means they were going to walk. It was just the most ordinary word, uh, the most ordinary concept almost that you could even think of. They walked everywhere they went. Uh, but even more than that, in Scripture, it's used kind of in a figurative sense in two ways, okay? In Scripture, when it says you walk, uh, there, there are kind of two uh, figures of speech that are used. One is this idea of a relationship. If you walk with somebody, that means that you have a relationship with them. So we see examples of that. It says Abraham walked with God. That means he had a relationship with God. It says David walked with God in the Old Testament. So if you walk with God, that means you have a relationship with him. So this idea of having a relationship, but it also, uh, uh, not just this idea of a relationship, um, but the second way that this is used is to describe a lifestyle. It, you know, if we talk about your walk, uh, how's your walk going? It, that what we're talking about is, is your lifestyle, continuing progress in a, in a chosen direction. Uh, so you see this in the Old Testament as well. Uh, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, this his lifestyle is not an ungodly lifestyle. So when we talk about a walk, we're not only talking about a relationship that you have with somebody, but also this idea of, of, of a lifestyle that you live. Psalm 25, 4, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. This idea of a walk means your your lifestyle. So the, in our text today, here in Colossians 2, we actually kind of see it used both ways. Because you see, you can't walk with Jesus. You can't have a lifestyle that's a Christian lifestyle unless you have a relationship with him. But now I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So let's, uh, let's go back to our steps. How we follow Christ alone. Um, the first step is this. We must receive Christ. These verses begin by saying this. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So before you can walk in him, you must receive Christ. Now, here's something that's really important for us to realize when you read that simple little phrase, receive Christ Jesus the Lord. It doesn't say uh, just as you received the teaching about Jesus. It doesn't say just as you received the traditions about Jesus. It doesn't even say just as you received the word of God. It says as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. He is a person who loves you and says, I want you to receive me. Not the teachings about me, not the traditions about me. I want you to receive me, to have a relationship with me. He says, I love you. How much did I love you? We talked about this last week. He gave up his life and paid the penalty that we deserve. And so he says, I want you to receive me. I'm the person who loves you. I'm the person who saves you. Before you can walk with me, you must receive me. Now, this idea of receiving uh, I think we understand this when we think about gifts, right? So last week, I told you we all, Sarah and I, received a lot of, re- a lot of gifts from all of you. Uh, and, and I mentioned this crystal hot sauce that you all gave us, okay? So what if I took those gifts home and I put them up on the shelf and just said, look at that, isn't that amazing? Look at these amazing gifts. Uh, it wouldn't be accomplishing its purpose, right? You're supposed to take that hot sauce and screw the lid off and put it on the food and use it. And that's how you receive that gift. You all gave us, the, I don't know who gave us that gift, uh, but uh, you gave it to us so that we could use it. And the same is true with this gift of Jesus Christ is that God puts this out in front of us and says, I am offering you the most precious gift, the one thing that can give you eternal life, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Please receive this gift. 
And it's easy, I think, for us as, as humans to say, what a great gift. I'm so thankful he offers that to us, but I don't really want to use it right now. I don't really want that yet. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take it later. But Jesus says to, or God says to us, you must receive Christ in order to walk with him. You must receive him. That's step number one. Before you can walk with him, you must receive this amazing gift. How do you receive it? It's through faith in Christ alone. By faith in Christ alone. Um, uh, if we skip down to uh, verse 13, again, Colossians is full of all these kind of descriptions of what the gospel is. What is this gift that's being offered to you? Verse 13, it says, you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. It says you are dead apart from Christ. What happens? It says God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All right, so don't miss this. This is the last thing I'll say about receiving Christ. To receive Christ means that you trust in him alone. You lean on him alone to be saved and to receive eternal life. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do uh, to earn a relationship with Jesus Christ. You trust in him alone uh, and in the work that he's done because there's nothing you can do. And so to walk with Christ, see a lot of people say, oh yeah, I want to have this Christian walk. I want to look good. I want to act good. I want to talk good. I want to be good. But Colossians 2, 6 tells us that you can't walk the Christian walk unless you have first of all received Christ. And to receive him means to trust him and to begin this relationship with him. So if you haven't done that, please do that today. Please do that today. Come talk to me. Talk to someone else here who would uh, be able to share with you about how to make that happen. Uh, And one thing I also would say is, uh, I guess just at the end of this point is, have you received him? That's step number one. Have you received him? And if the answer is no, then do it today. Do it today. But if you have received him, I want you to stop and think about how did I receive him? Who was it that told me about him? Uh, back to chapter 1, there's this, there's this little verse that I love. Uh, verse 7, it says, uh, Paul's talking about the gospel to, the, to these Colossian believers. And he says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant. So this guy named Epaphras is the one who shared the gospel with the people in Colossae. All right. And so what I want you to do is if you have received Christ, think about who shared it with you. And I would just encourage you to do two things with that. Thank God for that person. And if you still know that person, if that person is still living and in your life, reach out to them and thank them uh, for sharing the gospel so that you were able to receive Christ. So that's step number one, receive Christ. But step number two uh, is this, and these are the words straight out of the text, be rooted and built up in Christ. Be rooted and built up in Christ. Um, so when we think about these two words, this idea of being rooted and being built up, again, the metaphors for spiritual growth in Scripture are very uh, just kind of common, long-term ideas. Nothing like really flashy or exciting, but this idea of being rooted and built up are, are, are steady, long-term uh, process type of words, kind of like this idea of walking. It doesn't say sprint with Christ. <laughs> it says walk with Christ, journey with him. Uh, and the same thing is true here. Walking with Christ, uh, one of the steps in walking with Christ is being rooted and, 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 and built up in him. So what does this mean? Uh, these are, like I said, uh, long-term illustrations. You see this picture of, of a tree. A lot of times when you look at a tree, all you see is what is above the ground. But what we have in Colossians 2 here is it's saying, think about what's underneath the ground. 
the roots. In fact, the first time I was with all of you back in August, this is what we, we talked about from John chapter 15. The fact that Jesus wants us to be deeply rooted in him. Be rooted in him. And so uh, I remember we had a, a tornado that came through Alabama probably five or six years ago. It went through Tuscaloosa. Uh, that was not yesterday, although something went through Tuscaloosa yesterday. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, this tornado came through and I remember in, in, in my in-laws yard in Sarah's parents yard, they had a bunch of trees that went over. Uh, and, and so, you know, after a big storm, how this happens, the trees go over. And I remember seeing some of those trees, uh, uprooted their roots and you could almost drive a truck into the hole where the roots were. Those roots that were underground, uh, really are what held the tree up. And, and when God says, I want you to be rooted and built up in Christ, what does that mean? I think rooted in Christ means uh, to be rooted in his word. We see that in Colossians. We see that throughout scripture. And so this idea of being rooted in his word, uh, uh, we see this in Psalm chapter 1 again. Uh, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water who's, who bears its fruit in its season. Uh, and everything he does, he prospers. Uh, whose root does not wither and everything he does, he prospers. Uh, so Psalm 1 tells us this. Isaiah 55 talks about how God's word uh, does not return to him void, uh, but it bears fruit. And so this idea of being rooted in Christ, I believe, means that we are rooted in his word. Uh, the capstone of this is probably Psalm 119, which is a whole chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, that describes the benefits of being rooted in God's word and the riches of being rooted in God's word. And so when we are told in Colossians chapter 2 to be rooted in Christ... Uh, that means to be uh, rooted in his word. Another thing that it means is, is to be rooted in his love, to be rooted in his love. I just read those those verses from uh, from chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Think about what it costs Jesus to love us. He set that aside uh, and set aside all his own personal agenda so he could love us. He was crucified in our place. And that's the love that we are we are to be rooted in. And, and so... How do we be rooted in his love? I think the first thing is is to remember his love. Uh, for example, last week we celebrated communion. That's the reason we do that in worship is so that we can remember the type of love that Christ has demonstrated for us. And we also uh, are rooted in his love by imitating it, imitating his love. And so next week, if you come back next week, that's actually what we're going to be talking about is imitating Christ alone. Uh, the first week we talked about worshiping Christ alone. Today we're talking about following Christ alone, and then a big part of that is imitating Christ alone, especially in our relationships with others. What we're going to see from chapter 3 is that uh, God has a lot to say about how we treat the other people in our lives and in the community that we live in. Uh, And so we're going to talk about imitating Christ alone, but that's a big way that we are rooted in in Christ, is being rooted in his love. But you see, there's actually two illustrations here on this step, being rooted and built up. It's, it's this idea, it's like a coin with two sides. So rooted is what's beneath the surface. You put your roots down deep so that you can grow above the surface. And so this idea of being built up, this is a, a construction metaphor. This idea of God says, I want you to be built up like a building is built up. And uh, I know we have several people here in this church who are in construction or who have been in construction at some point. How is a building built? built one nail at a time, one brick at a time, one piece of concrete at a time, one piece of wood at a time. One thing at a time is how buildings are built. 
And so I think that's one of the things about this word picture that God gives us. He says, I want you to be rooted in me and built up in me one piece at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one, uh, one event at a time. And so this idea of being built up in him is to look at the events of your life and say, how are these events being used to build me up in Christ? Uh, you know, you might look at some things and say, uh, this is an obstacle. And God says, no, that's actually a support. Uh, that we're going to use to construct you in the way that you need to be constructed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a building kind of like this, you know, with cranes and things right in downtown New Orleans, right, that, that actually collapsed uh, while it was under construction, a terrible, terrible situation. Um, and so uh, what I want us to think about when we think about that and think about this idea of being built up is that it matters what you're built upon. Right. Uh, the verdict is not completely in on that building, but it looks like they made some mistakes on their foundation and anchoring and things like that. And so it really matters what you are built upon. And so I would encourage you be built on Christ alone, be built on Christ alone. And so be built up in him. Uh, part of that includes being built up with his people. We're built up in his church. Being a part of this church is a huge thing. Um, and, and we are rooted and built up in Christ. So. You know, we come to the end of that point, that step number two, how are you rooted and built up in him? Just ask yourself, what am I doing to put my roots down deep in Christ and in his word? What am I doing? Who am I doing that with? Um, what am I doing to be built up in Christ? And all these things, this is talking about you, it's talking about me, but also we have to think about how am I helping others be built up in Christ? What am I doing to build up uh, uh, other Christians? You know, uh, it's First Peter chapter 2 that says, you all are living stones being built up into a holy temple, uh, pleasing to the Lord. And so the church, all of us Christians, are the only building, I think, in the world uh, that builds itself. <laughs> Actually, we are called to build, this building is called to build itself. Uh, we are living stones in this building. And so uh, from, from 1 Peter 2, you see, we are not a bunch of dead bricks, <laughs> We are living stones. And so God says, be built up, bring life to others by sharing with them. So step two is to be rooted and built up in Christ. Step three says uh, to be established in the faith. Be established in the faith. And this is very closely related to what we just talked about. But one thing I'll just say uh, on this topic is, um, you know, there are other options out there, right? You can be established in other things besides the Christian faith. Uh, you can embrace other teachings, other individuals, even other religions. And I think what Colossians tells us is that to be established is to be established in Christ alone. And so that's the call here is that uh, is not to dabble in those other things. And, you know, I think that's a very common thing uh, that happens now is uh, I think one of the most common um, mistakes that people make right now is that I trust Jesus plus something else. Fill in the blank. Uh, Jesus is good for me on Sundays or Jesus is good for me when I'm with my church friends, but I really trust my portfolio. Or maybe I think I can do a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Eastern religion, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, scripture tells us, be rooted in Christ alone, be established in Christ alone, uh, in the faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's what true faith is. It's not leaning on Jesus plus something else. It's leaning on Jesus alone. And so think about that in your life. Is there something else that you might be tempted to lean on for security or for significance? 
when I have this one thing, then, then my life is going well. And, and that, those would be things that we call idols. And, and so this idea of being established in the faith means leaning on Christ alone. And so examine your life and think about, it. is there anything else I'm leaning on? But how do you actually build yourself and become more established in the faith? Uh, again, I think it's, it's where you surround yourself with, with others uh, and, and, and build on what God has already begun to do. Step four. Step four is be taught. Uh, be taught. It says be rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And so uh, when we talk about this idea of being taught, a lot of times I think when we think about teaching, automatically we think of a classroom, right? So our kids just switched schools. So we're meeting new teachers, new classrooms. We're, we're very concerned about where will they be taught? And a lot of times we think about that too. I think when we, when we think about growing in Christ, this idea of being taught in Christ is, well, what class am I going to sit in? Classes are important. It's important to sit in a sermon and, and hear the gospel proclaimed, uh, to be taught by others, but also open your mind up a little bit to this idea of what it could mean to be taught. I think, uh, Christ teaches us in relationships with others. Maybe it's one-on-one with somebody. Maybe you teach your kids. Uh, here again, you not only are called to be taught, but also to, to multiply that to others. Uh, maybe you meet somebody for coffee and, and, and the truth is spoken into your life. Maybe you're in a small group. Think about where is it that I'm being taught. But then the other side of that coin, coin also is where can I teach others and multiply what God's already given to me. Uh, and so... Uh, I think that's one of the key steps in following Christ alone is to be taught. Now, you'll notice step one was receive Christ. And then the next three steps say be rooted, be established, be taught. Those are all kind of passive. In other words, these are things that more like happen to you, right? Uh, this is not something that sounds like actively being done. I think it's no accident that, uh, that Christ or that, that Paul words it in this way, uh, be rooted and built up in him. Be taught. All these things, uh, this idea of it seeming passive is important to realize that you can't do this on your own. It's only going to happen if the Holy Spirit is pouring into you. Uh, and, and God often does that through his people. So this idea of, uh, of being means that we are dependent on him for this to happen. And yet we are responsible to work with him. Uh, we are responsible uh, to follow him and to be uh, uh, walk with him, walk with him. He invites us to walk with him. But step number five, this is the last thing uh, in your outline, is this idea of overflowing with thanksgiving, overflowing with thanksgiving. Now, uh, you can probably think of examples of, of something that's overflowed. I remember one year, uh, again, this is another farming analogy, we, we were harvesting corn, and we were putting it in the grain bin, and all of a sudden the bin got full. Well, what are we going to do now? Well, we started filling up the second grain bin. And pretty soon that bin was overflowing, overfull. And so then we just had to start piling it out on the ground because <laughs> it was just overflowing more than we could have imagined, more than we planned for. And what I think uh, uh, God is telling us here is that his people, if you're walking with Christ, one of the most important steps you can take is to be like that with your thanksgiving. Just to have so much thanksgiving that you can't figure out where to put it all. Just be overflowing with it. Because guess what? Most human beings, maybe you all are exceptions to this, uh, most human beings do not naturally go to being grateful, do they? I think it's so much more natural for us to complain or to look at the negative. 
uh, and to find things to complain about. Uh, in fact, Randy preached a sermon about this uh, a couple weeks ago, that it's one of the pitfalls, one of the stumbling blocks uh, in a Christian's life is this, uh, this danger of grumbling. Well, the antidote is right here in Colossians 2. People who follow Jesus, who walk with Jesus, are called to be overflowing with thanksgiving. And I can't encourage you enough. There was a, a teacher we had back uh, uh, growing up uh, who poured a lot into Sarah's life, actually. He said, if there was one thing I could teach my kids, it would be this, to be thankful. And I thought, really? One thing? Like, of all the things, that's what you would teach them? But I actually do think it helps us to relate and to realize uh, a thankful heart is one that recognizes what Christ has done for us. A thankful heart is a one that recognizes that I can't do this on my own. A thankful heart is a heart that recognizes that everything we have comes from Christ. Uh, and so uh, for us to overflow with thanksgiving is, is kind of the way that this sentence ends, is that all these things that you do to walk with Christ, uh, the thing that kind of ties them all together is your gratitude and your gratefulness and your thankfulness to him. And so today, you know, we're, we're getting close to Thanksgiving. In fact, two weeks from today is, is Thanksgiving week. And it's easy for, uh, for Americans to say, well, yeah, once a week we celebrate, or once a year we celebrate Thanksgiving. And, you know, that's kind of our week to give thanks. And it, that means we eat turkey and, you know, watch football and, and all that. Well, God says, I want you to have a lifestyle of Thanksgiving. Walk and overflow with Thanksgiving every step of the way. And that's one of the most valuable steps, I think, that a believer can take. Uh, not only give thanks to God, that's primary. In fact, one thing I love is when, when sometimes people tell you to do something and then they do the opposite. Well, in Colossians, you see Paul saying to give thanks. Well, throughout the book, he's like overflowing with thanksgivings. Again, it's like he can't figure out where to fit all his thanksgiving. Uh, prayers of thanksgiving, statements of thanksgiving, and just gratitude to Christ. So give thanks to God first and foremost, uh, but I think a thankful heart towards the people around you is also a really valuable thing as well. So there's your five steps uh, to follow Christ alone. Um, this is how we follow him. Uh, like I said, I think some of these are, are just, if you're not sure where to turn, take one of these steps. Do something to be rooted in him. Do something to give thanks, to overflow with thanks. But kind of in conclusion, let me read these verses again. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, uh, I think one way to help us understand what this looks like, just to kind of wrap this up is, uh, and I, I've used this illustration before as well. Imagine you wanted to go on a hike on what's called the Appalachian Trail. It's one of the, the longest hiking trails in the world, definitely in this country. So it's close to a 1,000 miles. It begins in Georgia, I believe, and it ends in Maine. So people actually do this. They, they hike a 1,000 miles. And so uh, imagine you and me and all of us met at the trailhead of the Appalachian Trail down there in Georgia. And I said, okay, we're about to start, um, and let's, uh, let's go. I'm going to guide you. Uh, most of you would turn around and get in your cars and go back home, right? Because <laughs> you would say, why, why, would we, why would we go with you on this dangerous journey where people get hurt and killed and it's a dangerous thing? Uh, you'd probably be wise to do that. Well, what if I told you, um, okay, I've traveled this trail 30 times. I know where all the dangerous parts are. If you fall and hurt yourself or if you run out of food or anything like that, I will get you food. I will pick you up and carry you. I'm going to guide you on this journey. 
Still, a lot of you would probably still get in your car and go home, right? (laughs) But more of you would stay because you would say, here's a seasoned guide who's done this before, and he wants to walk with me on this trail. That's exactly what Jesus tells us. He says, I want you to walk with me. By the way, did I mention that I've been a human, that I still am a human? Uh, And that I walked the journey that you're walking right now. Every temptation you experience, I experienced. The pain of death, I've experienced. The loss of loved ones, I've experienced. And he says, I want to walk with you every step of this journey. And not only that, I'm going to provide you with the one thing you really need to complete the journey. And that's eternal life. Jesus Christ is our guide. And he says, I want to walk with you. I would invite you to walk with me. So that's our invitation this morning is walk with him one day at a time, one step at a time. And together uh, we will journey as a church to, 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 uh, to honor him. So let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance to worship together. Thank you for your word and this challenge to walk with you. Thank you for your promises. Uh, God, I pray that this would be a church full of people who, who take one step at a time, leading others to you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.